Hey, I'm Will, and this is Benj. We're both church planners trying to work out how to form churches in this post-pandemic world. I lead a church that's trying to grow big. And I lead a church that's trying to grow small. But we share an interest in the beautiful and diverse future of the church in Australia. What will it look like? How will it adapt and innovate and thrive? If you're asking these questions too, then join us as we host a range of conversations with diverse thinkers and practitioners around what comes next. Welcome to the Forming Church Podcast, brought to you by Gen 1K and our vision to see a thousand healthy churches in a generation. Well, top of the day to you, top of the moment to you. Welcome in to the Forming Church Podcast. It is great to be with you in this very moment. It is. It is uh, a real treat and a treasure. <laughs> a treat and a treasure. <laughs> to we, be with you. Yes, it is. And it's a, it was a treat and a treasure to have our conversation today with Andrew Sloan. Andrew Sloan. Now, this guy, this you don't guy, know him. This guy. This guy's got a mind. He is uh, a lecturer at Morling College. They're one of our uh, show sponsors for this season of uh, Forming Church. And you'll get a bit of a glimpse into the world of Mauling through this conversation. But Andrew Sloan specifically is a senior lecturer in Old Testament and Christian thought. And he spends time dipping into um, bioethics and Old Testament violence and a whole bunch of like deep philosophical conundrum-y territory. Yes. And he does. He does have a mind on him. He's he got, definitely He's does. got a brain on him, this guy. He does. Now, I feel like this conversation was, this is a two for one. Absolutely. Because the other thing about Andrew is he has been on not one, but two church plant launch teams as a, as kind of a, not the sort of key leader, but a key supporter Yes, in two church plants, which yes. is which is awesome. And so the two for one, Ben, what's, why is this episode a two for one deal? Well, to start with, we talk about what makes a great launch team member. And I know a lot of people that are listening are, are church planters or, you know, want to start something missional. You may be a pastor of an existing church. But a lot of people as well are just interested in church planting. And maybe you are, are sensing that call into joining a church. Or maybe you're a church planter thinking about how to form a team around you or, or you're starting something new, even a new business, how, how to form a good crew of people. And I think this is a great episode um, to think about that. As someone who has a great brain on him, who's thought through these things really well, and has come not as a lead planter, but as a, a support. Mm. Uh, it's a really great perspective. And then uh, at the end of the conversation, we start to talk about faith and work and how, how our faith and our vocation go together uh, in a theological and a practical sense. So it is a great and conversation. And really, I feel like that second half of the conversation was, um, it just like was a flower that, that was sitting there just being closed it, and then it bloomed. It bloomed. And it was... Uh, a grand vision yes. of what faith looks like in the context of our everyday life. So enjoy the blooming. Enjoy the two for one. Buy one, get one free. You didn't even pay anything. Suckers, get two free. Get two free. Enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Mauling College. As well as their great theological study options, Mauling run free courses, open nights, and public events on topics like transforming vocation, faith in action, bioethics, and more. And if you're a church planter, they even run a church planting course called Scent. They have a range of scholarships, campuses in Perth and Sydney, as well as online study options. You can find out more at mauling.edu.au. 
Well, welcome, Andrew. It's very good to have you with us. Uh, I'm interested just to start with what, what does a normal week look like for you? Yeah, uh, so thanks for having me here. Uh, so I teach at Moreland College, so um, my work week is uh, fairly oriented around that. Uh, so I come into the office uh, three days a week normally. Uh, once semester kicks off, I get to actually talk to real human beings um, and tr- try and help them think about life, faith and how the scriptures inform that. Uh, the rest of the time I read, I think, I write, I talk to people, do a bunch of stuff. So that's the, that's the work bit. Um, I'm uh, also married, so my uh, wife and I live in Camaray. Uh, we have three adult daughters who are all out of home, although we're hoping that our daughter, who's currently in London, will be joining us in a few weeks. Um, she's got a flight. We hope she can get on it. Um, so that'll be nice. But anyway, um, so that's the work week. Um, weekends, we kind of hang out. We like going walking. Uh, and we're involved in church, so we're part of Harborside Church. Very good. And uh, you have been a part of two church plants, we've been led to believe, uh, but perhaps uniquely not as the church planter, but someone who's gone along for the ride two times as a launch team member. Could you share a little bit about just the story of, of how you ended up in that situation twice? Sure. Uh, so it wasn't by accident. Uh, so... Um, we're old. We've been around for a, for a fair fair time, um, and a bunch of things contributed to it. Um, one is the recognition that if we actually want to make a, a difference in people's lives, if we want to see people come to faith, if we want to see communities transformed, um, the evidence seems to be that church planting is one of the best ways of doing that. So we thought um, we actually want to see people's lives changed. We want to see communities transformed. Um, we want to do that the easiest way possible. So let's explore the church planting thing. It's also that, um, as I said, I'm old, I've been around for a while, so we had a bit of experience of church. Um, Some of that is quite disheartening at times, um, but also gives us some experience which we thought might be useful. The other fact is that um, neither my wife nor I uh, is an evangelist or particularly you know, one of those cool people who does really excellent stuff in communities and seems to see all sorts of change happening Selling yourself them. short. You <laughs> seem like a cool person, you know. <laughs> but carry on. Yeah, no, nah, I'm not cool. Anyway, <laughs> um, uh, so we, that's not where our gifts lie. Um, but I believe Jesus calls all of us to... Um, contribute to his purposes, seeing people come to know him, be reconciled to God and each other, um, and to see the world around them changed. So if if we're not the ones who primarily do that, then what can we do to help those who are primarily called and gifted to that to do that more effectively? And we thought, well, maybe just going along for the ride, as you put it, being part of the team... um, might be a good way of doing that because um, I think I think church planting can be pretty lonely um, and uh, so just having people who are there praying, supporting, if they want to have a conversation, um, that kind of stuff, um, I think theology is helpful. Um, so I thought that might be useful as well. Yeah. 
It is useful. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> um, what would you say to someone who is a, a church planter or, you know, they're, they're about to start something, they're forming up a team and they're thinking about who to invite, who to tap on the shoulder? Uh, sometimes, you know, as church planters, we'll just take any, any warm bodies, anyone that says yes. Um, but really the strength of the team, you know, equals the strength of the, ch- the church moving forward and sustainability and um, giftedness and all that. W- what do you think makes a great launch team member or core team member? Oh, that's – it's very different. So it's quite diverse. I, I think that um, – I, I suspect that church planting training deals with this. Um, not specifically done the church planters course. Me neither and I'm planning a church. So, <laughs> you know, let's just assume that some haven't. <laughs> um, so it, it seems to me that uh, what Paul says about the body in 1 Corinthians – is just as important in a church planting context as in a more traditional church. And if you think about what's going on in Corinth, it's actually a relatively recent church plant. It's only been going a few years. So it seems to me that recognising the diversity that exists in a healthy body uh, is fundamental to a good team. I think it's a bit of a temptation to think that um, everyone on the team needs to be the kind of alpha dog um, the go-getter, the, the person who's out there. Um, you need those people, but this may be self-serving, almost certainly is, but, but I think you need the boring people as well. Um, I think um, people who are there to support, uh, people who can help you ask good questions to think about what it is you're doing and why you're doing it, people who pray. Um, I think it's also... Also helpful to recognise that church plants tend to be full of high energy particles, if I can put it that way. There's a lot of energy going around and that can be extraordinarily good and it can lead to meltdown. So having people who can, um, if you like, dampen the energy level when it needs to or redirect it, um, I think that's really important. Um, so you need diversity, but everybody absolutely must be on the same page and everybody must be really clear about what the vision of this particular church plant is, what this is going to look like, what this area needs and how it's going to evolve, but how this particular church is going to connect in its community in life-transforming ways. People need to know that from the start and I think it needs to be tracked very carefully. So some of our experience has been that it hasn't always worked well and I think one of the key factors there was that people who thought they'd signed on to the vision hadn't really or didn't really understand the implications. Um, And as a result, um, it frustrated and... um, What's the word? I think this is loaded, I have a particular perspective, uh, I think directed the plant in unhelpful ways in the past. Not mm-hmm. where we currently are, but that has been our past experience. I'm interested in how different your, you know, what what was your lens the second time round after having been part of the first plant? Uh, did that change? How you approached your role as a team member and were there some kind of key, how different have those experiences been? They've been extraordinarily different. Um, so the first first plant we were involved in um, was a um, 
in a very different part of the world. Um, so it was um, kind of a, a previously working class, lower socioeconomic area which was going through transition, uh, gentrification, you know, um, as happens in the city and along all the waterways in Sydney. Um, so it was that kind of area. Um, whereas the, the place we're involved in now is on the leafy lower north shore. Um, very different contexts. The first one, um, uh, one of the things we're exploring was what does it look like to church to do church differently in a place where where people wouldn't particularly expect church to look like this, um, uh, where most of the people didn't have expectations about church. Um, so there's a freedom to to think. So what what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? What's the best way of connecting with these people? In a place like Mossman, which is where Harborside is located, so different. It is establishment. It's um, a whole lot of people who may not have had any connection themselves in any real sense with the church still think they know what church ought to look like and would be deeply puzzled um, and probably put off if it didn't look a little bit like that. Um, so the, the the gatherings on Sundays have been extraordinarily different and the role that the Sunday gatherings has played, uh, the, how central they are, um, the priority it has in the life of the community, that's also been very different. So one of the things I've learnt is it's really important to be clear about the overarching task, what it is you're there for. It's really important to have a very clear vision. It's equally important to be radically flexible about how that's going to be, uh, how it's going to take shape. Um, yeah. That's good stuff. Very good. What would you say to someone who is um, thinking about joining a church plant team? Maybe they've, you know, been part of an established church, you know, and uh, they're thinking about stepping into something new like this. What what piece of advice would you give them as they step on t- into that sort of journey or consider joining a church plant team? Oh, strike. Bunch of things. Um, it's a ride. Um, it you need to be aware that in a church plant there are no passengers. Um, one of the things about established churches is there are a whole bunch of passengers. No. You, if you've got a seat, you've got an oar. Uh, that's just the way it goes. So I think that's really, really important. Um, I think it's also important to recognise there's a lot of fun, um, a lot of work but a lot of fun to, um, to help people reimagine what church might look like, to help people reimagine what it looks like to live faithfully in a particular part of the world. That's fun. It's hard. It can be challenging. It can at times be heartbreaking. Um, it can also at times be some of the most joyous experiences you're likely to have, I think, in in seeing this body come together and seeing it make an impact on its community. Um, I think I'd also want to say um, learn from your past church experience but don't seek to replicate it Um, because things are going to look different. Um, If if what you want to do is see what you've done before reproduced somewhere else, I I would encourage you to rethink. Um, So I'd I'd also encourage you to think about Um, whether you have the right kind of wisdom for the task. 
So if I can put it bluntly, some people have 30 years' experience, some people have the same year's experience 30 times. Um, so some people don't learn from their own experience. It's worth asking yourself and asking others if you have. If you have and you're willing to contribute and not control this emerging community, then, yeah, think hard about it and talk to the planters because the the... The key planter is the one who's going to be the primary shaper of this community, not the only one. Otherwise, there's no point in being part of the team. But you need to know whether you can work with this person. You need to know... And that's, that's partly a just a, a relationship thing. There are people who are great people and I know I could not work with them. Um, says nothing against them, probably says something against me. But um, you need to know whether there's whether this relationship's going to work. You also need to know whether it's going to work theologically and whether the vision is one that you can buy because you have to buy it and you have to invest a lot in buying it. Mm. A lot of great great wisdom there. Um, one of the things that you just sort of touched on was, you know, to, I guess, honour the experiences you've had in previous church contexts but not seek to replicate it. I'm wondering what the learning you would want to kind of feed back the other direction like from being involved in church plants what are the things you'd want to say back to established churches that you've learnt that you maybe hadn't learnt without having those kind of lived experiences of being in the in the plant environment uh, communities change and churches tend to change much more slowly than the communities around them um, often unfortunately the both the culture and the demographics in churches um, look somewhere between five and 15 years out of date. So I, I would suggest it's worth looking around and asking about your church culture and your church demographics to see whether it does reflect the community in which you're a part. Now, it's not that you're a slave to that community, you're a slave to Christ. But the point of being in, in a church in a particular community is to make connections to see the world around you change and people's lives transformed. So that's one thing. I think it's... The other thing is uh, I ask questions. I don't have many answers. Um, I'm a theologian. That's my job, uh, to ask questions. Um, but I, I think it's really helpful for churches to ask good questions. And it seems to me... Uh, I'm, uh, very simple questions. The questions that most churches and people fail to ask are what is this thing and what is it for? We often think we know the answer to that and very often we're wrong. Um, it may be that that used to be the case but it may not be the case anymore. So it that relates to the, the big picture, like this church. What is church? Simple question. It's a very complex thing to answer. And what is the church for? Now, the, the short answer is obviously it's there to glorify God. Um, it's there to be both the product and the bearer of the gospel. But what does it look like here? What is worship and what is it for? Again, to glorify God, but it does other things as well. And... If worship 
if worship is an, is a practice in which we engage as a community in the glorifying of God in such a way that God is honoured and we are transformed, how do we do that here and now? What are the best ways of doing that? How do people connect with each other and with God? Music is often very helpful. Not always. Um, so what is it and what's it for? And is it achieving the aim it exists for? And if not, then what can you do to try and shift it so that it now does? Simple questions, but I mean, they're the questions you have to ask in a church plant, I think. Mm. I think I think they're actually the questions you ought to ask as a church. Yeah, they are. There's some um, very simple, clarifying questions with uh, very big, complex answers, which are it, which is often the case, right? But uh, you, you're sounding a lot like Tim Sorens, who we interviewed in our first season, which if you're listening to this and haven't listened to that episode, I would recommend that. Um, and I, I guess to, to those questions, there will be some universal answers. Right. Um, but then obviously some very contextual answers as well. Yeah. And I think that's probably some of the beauty about the movement of, of Christianity, of church, is that it has shifted and changed. Right. And um, part of what you were alluding to is that you know, even, even in the case of 10 or 15 years, the culture can move way beyond where the church has. Right. Um, do, do you have any insight into how to um, set up maybe some some systems or some some markers or some triggers of how to continually ask those questions. It's pretty easy. So I, I'm a church planter, two years in, it's pretty easy. I think without COVID, we probably just would have, you know, charged on through what we're doing. COVID's caused us to ask big questions again, right. which is a good thing. But I can see it very tempting for church planters who have put all this energy, energy into starting something. It's going, self-sufficient, um, to not ask those questions again. Yep. What advice would you give to planters, teams to continually to ask those questions? Um, schedule it. Uh, so I think um, the whole bunch of things, so speaking from a Baptist context, there are a whole bunch of things which traditionally Baptists have done as part of how we do church together. And one is the, the regular meeting thing, you know, the whatever you call it, the members meeting, we'll call it that. Um that would be a great opportunity to um, at least once a year, perhaps at every meeting, ask a question about one of the things you're doing um, and try and ask it honestly. It's really, 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 really easy to ask questions self-interestedly so that you get the nice comfortable answer that you'd like to hear. So... Um, uh, thinking about who ought to be on a church planting team, you need you need the loving, honest rat bag. Um, so um, somebody who'll who who'll tell you that you are now the naked emperor, um, and you need to rethink what you're wearing. Um, so I think structuring it in as a regular part of of what you're doing, um, whatever will. However it evolves, the, the church plant will develop leadership structures. It ought to be written into, I think, the 
agenda, however formal or informal that is, if the agenda of every team meeting ought to be asking those questions again. Um, one way I think of, of triggering some of the uncomfortable answers is um, are we now being driven by the programs or the structures that we've put in place? And are we, in a sense, um, serving those programs and structures rather than, as was originally the case, rather than those pro programs and structures being put in place in order to achieve some kind of end? Um, so asking the question, is the program now running things or are the people and the connections that we're trying to establish? Mm, very good. We we came out of a church where Craig Corkill was the senior pastor and he, he would always talk to us about that difference between being in ministry versus on ministry and having to, to schedule and actually make sure you had time to get that bird's eye view and actually because when you're in the thick of it, it just you just feel like you've got to keep going. And I think a lot of people, if they don't, it's nice to aspire towards the bird's eye view, but if you don't schedule it, if you don't have it kind of as a concrete action step, then it'll always be something you continue to push back. Yep. Yeah, so there's some great wisdom there. And I heard, um, you know, the sort of giving permission to the, the right kind of people that you know are going to ask those questions and are going to be candid um, is another really important thing I heard there. Yeah, I guess I guess that comes down to forming a team as well like how do we invite those people in that might be actually a little bit uncomfortable for us you know as as leaders but mm. people that are going to speak truthfully ask good questions yep. sometimes irritate us uh yep. you know that that's that's a real kind of prophetic biblical role you know in a team and so yeah. we need to create space and be big enough leaders to create right. space for that yeah personally i don't think power is something to be renounced i think it's a gift given through a powerful person to the community that they serve. And so it's a question of how best, given this is what's been entrusted to me, how best do I use that? Um, so uh, there I think uh, a bit of humility um, is useful for both the planter and the people on the team. Um, one of the other things I should should say is that as a team member, um, my view is I contribute to the conversation and then I live with the result. And um, unless it's something which I don't think I can live with, once the decision's made, we get on with it. Um, and I don't gripe about it. I don't say, well, that's not the way I would do it. Well, of course, I'm not the planter. I'm just a bod. Um, so being willing to contribute and then to live with what we as a community uh, come to believe is the best expression. Anyway. Mm, that's how, great. How do you decide personally um, around wh what are those things that you would uh, die on a hill for and what are the things you're willing to go, this is not, this is not what, I would, what I would do but... It's not one of those make or break things. Because I think, you know, our culture is becoming more and more polarised around things that we don't need to be polarised around. Right. Um, what, how do you approach that? Um, yeah, I don't have any rules for that. 
um, I've not thankfully been in the in the position uh, where it seemed to me that the church has effectively defected from Christ or the gospel. I mean, that's an obvious one. How you figure that out, uh, that can be hard. Um, I think it's important to recognise, though, uh, part, partly it's um, mapping my theological landscape. Now, this is, a, this is an uber nerd thing to do, but nonetheless, it seems to me that, that whether you have it explicit or implicit, a map is really helpful to think what is central, what are the things... There is, a, there is a hill on which a bloke died for us and we can't run away from it. But what else is on that hill? Um, so what's central? Um, and, and people are going to disagree on that. Um, that's actually one of the tricky things. But for me, being clear about um, things like uh, unless the scriptures are central to what happens in our life together, I'm out of there. Uh, and unless they're honoured as that which is the fundamental shaper of our life and community, I'm out of there. Um, unless Jesus is proclaimed as the one who transforms broken people in a broken world, I'm out of there. Um, unless we are, unless we truly recognise that the Spirit is at work amongst God's people, whatever form that takes, and I'm not particularly caro, but you know, unless we really recognise the Spirit is work at work. Unless we're in the business of seeing people reconciled to their Heavenly Father and brought into the household of God, I'm out of there. But that's pretty blindingly obvious, really, isn't it? A whole bunch of things which I think, well, I think you're wrong about that, but I can live with that. Um, so um, particular example, um, the church we're currently involved in, uh, the lead planter is a, um, for those of you who know these categories, a soft complementarian in relation to gender and ministry. Quite soft. I'm I'm pretty hardline egalitarian. Um, uh, we talked about that. Um, I made made sure he understood that that's what I believed, um, and I I pressed him on what that looked like for him. And I thought I can live with that. Um, I can even though I think you're wrong theologically, the way that this is going to be expressed in the life of our church, I I can live with that. Mm. I have been thinking a bit lately as well about the presence of difference in a community gives permission for the presence of difference. And as soon as we divide over every little issue, we actually create a system where our churches can't hold polarised views in tension. So um, I think being able to articulate it and then humbly accept that this difference is its its own way of living out that value. Um, Andrew, one of the one of the passion areas for you is around the integration of um, faith and work. Um, so switching gears a little bit, but would love to hear you kind of just talk a little bit about why that's important to you. Um, it's a really simple answer, uh, which is I, I believe in the Lordship of Christ. Um, and if Christ is Lord, then Christ Lord is Lord of all things. Um, the, the, the notion that somehow... Um, what we spend most of our waking time doing is peripheral to the interests of Jesus and his gospel strikes me as bizarre, quite frankly. Um, so I think also um, if we think about what God is doing in the world, the stuff that people do in their ordinary lives, if I can put it that way, uh, makes an extraordinary contribution to the stuff that God's doing in the world. Um, 
some of it's very obvious if we think about it. Um, so uh, if you think about family life, but if we think about it this way, those of us who have the terrifying privilege and responsibility of being parents have been entrusted with the task of shaping immature homo sapiens <laughs> so that they can become responsible members of the human community, those who please God are shaped by the gospel of Christ, who then become people who transform this broken world in the power of the Spirit. Good Lord. That's, that's, that's what I'm doing? <laughs> that's what you're doing. Um, yeah. So uh, that's really important. And, and we need to think well about that. And indeed, think about how, how we think about families so that they are goal-oriented in that sense. So yes, we want our, people, uh, our, our children to believe in Jesus, but we want them to believe in Jesus for a reason and with a purpose. So what does that look like? Um, so that's, that's family life. So, and then think about the kind of stuff that people do with their time. Now, some of it seems really mundane and quite awful. So one of the things I'm very glad about is that I am uh, not in waste management. Um, but the, the, the people who hang off the back of garbage trucks, think about what they do for us. They make sure that our cities don't pile up with crap. They make sure that the stuff which is otherwise going to rot in our gutters and kill us doesn't. That strikes me as a pretty important thing that God is doing in the world in order to ensure that the kinds of communities we find ourselves in can exist. So if you think about that, we, we tend to think of the... like my, my, my background previously was in medicine, so it's, it's easy to think about how, how medicine is a contribution to God's purposes in the world. But garbage collectors and plumbers and electricians and nurses and factory workers and truck drivers all make a significant contribution to how these communities operate. And the better communities operate, the more they allow for f the flourishing of human life and human beings, the more I think God's creational purposes for human community is expressed. That's what work can do. And if you think about um, the particular things that some kinds of jobs can do, so, so, so some kinds of jobs are there just in just... Some kinds of jobs have the extraordinary contribution to human community in enabling it to go along at all. Other kinds of work is oriented to trying to understand where our communities are going wrong, how our patterns of living are damaging us and the world in which we live and seek to correct that. And if God is in the business of shalom building, which I think is fundamental to the gospel then those things which actively contributing to the furthering of God's shalom-making purposes, it seems to me, are a clear expression of what God is doing in the world. Um, and if we think about what is, our, what is our goal in seeing people come to faith, our goal is that they might be reconciled to God and each other through Christ and then mobilised as agents of God's work of fixing a broken world. So 
helping people think well about what it looks like to be an instrument of the transforming power of the gospel in the worlds in which they find themselves, in their everyday lives, in family, what they buy, how they buy it, how they interact with the people in the shopping queue. Uh, That strikes me as fundamental to what it means to live faithfully in this world. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful, expansive view of of the Christian life. And it goes back to our question before, you know, what is the church for? The church isn't for for itself. It's for, you know, being fruitful and multiplying, for joining God in the restoration of all things, yep. bringing shalom, new new creation. Yep. Um, um, one, one, sometimes I think we fall into the trap of seeing evangelism, that particular bit of what we do, um, as a kind of um, pyramid scheme um, that... Our job is to see people come to faith in Christ so that they then become people who see other people come to faith in Christ so that they become people who see other people come to faith in Christ without thinking what it is that we're there for, why it is that we want people to come to faith in Christ and what a difference that can make. So, yes, we do want people to come to faith in Christ. Of course we do. Um, but it's not a pyramid scheme. Um, we are When we invite people to to put their faith in Jesus. Yes, as Bonhoeffer said, we bid them to come and die, but you also bid them to come and live. And we bid, bid them to come and live as we were intended to live and enable others to do likewise. That's very good. What, what uh, advice would you give to a pastor trying to shepherd, pastor their congregation into that inter- integrative view of their whole life, family, work, um, do you have any practical tips around what what we can do as leaders to help empower our people, even if we know nothing about the area that they work in? I think I think that sometimes can be a barrier. We think I've got nothing to contribute to, you know, that sector of of where they work. They they know much more than me, so we can become insecure about that. But what what advice would you give to leaders trying to help that integration? Oh, look, a bunch of things. Um, there's a guy called Kevin Van Hooser. Um, who has this notion of, of pastors as the, um, the theological directors of a dramatic community. The, the idea is that the community of faith are those who are playing out their roles on the stage of the world and the pastor's job is to be the, the stage manager, the theological stage manager of it. So one of the things I think, um, whatever level of training you've, you've given some thought to, to what the gospel is and to how it impacts people's lives. That's your role. Your, your, job, is not, your job is not to tell them how to um, do double-entry accounting. Your job is to help them, th- help them think about why they're doing double-entry accounting and to ask good questions. So, so I think, so, so two really practical things. One is go to where people are working. Uh, so um, most most pastors are involved in visitation. Um, traditionally, we've visited people in their homes. There's value in that. But there's also very great value in just rocking up. You need their permission, but just rocking up to their workplace. Um, uh, arranging to have lunch with them somewhere near where they, where they work. But meet them in their workplace. Get to see where they work get to meet some of the people they work with, maybe have a conversation with them. And then in the space where they find themselves for most of their waking hours, talk about 
what they do. Ask them what they do. Um, ask them, um, how, how do you see, can you see Jesus reflected in, in where you are now? And that can be sometimes surprising. People often think, well, I'm, a, I'm an accountant. Um, I, I, I honestly balance books, that's it. But how do you relate to your, your co-workers? Are you perhaps a person who, when things are getting really tense because the deadline is approaching or is receding into the back, into the rearview mirror, are you the person who brings some peace into fraught circumstances? That kind of peacemaking, that's a bit of Jesus there, I reckon. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. So, so, so go where people are. Don't go as the expert accountant. Go as somebody who is there as a theologian and pastor. So you go into their workplace, but then you bring their workplace into the gathering of the community. Two really simple things. Um, at least I reckon probably every week I'd like to see it happen, but at least every fortnight have someone come up and just answer some simple questions like what, are you, what will you be doing this time tomorrow? So... Where will you be? What will you be doing? Who will you be talking to? Tell us what this looks like for you. How, what are the challenges that you, you face there? How can we pray for you? Just do that. What a difference that could make. But also there are a couple of relatively simple kind of liturgical practices. Uh, so liturgy is not a, um, not, not a word we often use in our Baptist-type circles. We all have a liturgy, it's just often ill-formed. But anyway, um, there's some liturgical practices we can do. And I think one is a, um, a bunch of people have talked about this. There's a Wilson and Kamink have written a really interesting book thinking about how we can rework the old harvest festival. I don't know if you know anything about the old harvest festivals. Where people no. would bring their, they'd bring their crops. So for agrarian communities... At harvest time, they would bring a basket of stuff that they'd grown and they'd bring it in as an act of worship and for that to be distributed to the church community and to those in need around. Pretty cool, hey? Mm. If any of us bring the product of what we've grown, it might be a rose from our garden. Most of us don't do that. But let's think about how we can rework something like a harvest festival and ask people to bring the tools of their trade Mm or something that represents their work. Um, so it, it might be um, if, if someone's a, a stay-at-home parent, they might bring a nappy, please, a clean one. <laughs> um, they might bring um, a calculator or a stethoscope or a bedpan, again, please, clean, or a, a screwdriver um, or a phone. So they, they're, they're invited a week or two beforehand to think about this, to plan about what it is that they're going to bring, bring it to church and as an act of worship, bring it down to the front of the church. You might lay it on the communion table or on the cross and in doing so, celebrate and repent because there are some things that people want to say, thank you, Lord, for the ways in which I have seen you at work, but also forgive me, Lord, for the ways in which I have either failed to do something I should have done or have done something I should not have done. So make it a make it a lived liturgical experience and leave it there. 
and at the end of the service have whoever's leading bless these things and the people who use them and as the last thing they do, go down, be blessed and leave with the tools of their trade now shaped by Jesus and the gospel. I love it. This is very good stuff, Andrew. Thank you so much for the uh, plethora of wisdom <laughs> and um, really practical suggestions there. I love that. Uh, where can people kind of follow along with some of some of your work and some of the things you've shared? And I guess in that is the connection to Morling College and maybe if you want to share how people can engage with um, life at Morling. Sure. Um, so... Uh, this is one of the areas I teach in, so particularly the integration of faith and work. Church planting, nah, um People who know what they're talking about do that, so Mike and others. Um, but the, the whole life discipleship, faith and work stuff, uh, uh, Keith Mitchell um, is also involved in that. Um, a bunch of us are. So um, there are some specific things that we do. Uh, so uh, later in the year, uh, so most years um, we'll run some subjects which talk about this kind of stuff in one way or another um, uh, and part of what um, I tend to do and I hope to do regularly is have a, a, a half-day open forum where people can just come along and explore the stuff that we're looking at, whether that's stuff in ethics or whether it's stuff like this in how we integrate faith and work. Um, you can do formal studies in all of that stuff as well. Uh, we run conferences. So there's a bunch of things that we do. Um, I think um, it might also be helpful to to be aware of some of the networks that are out there. Uh, so there's some really good stuff. Um, there's the um, Theology of Work project. Uh, so if you just Google Theology of Work, uh, there's actually a Theology of Work commentary, uh, which has got some good stuff in it. Some, I think, yeah. But there's some good stuff in that as well. The Theology of Work project um, is a, a group in the States called uh, Oikonomia. Yeah. Uh, O-I-K-O-N-O-M-I-A. Um, uh, so you can Google them. Um, here in Australia we're developing a, uh, what we're calling the Transforming Vocation Network, um, which is trying to bring uh, people who are, who are engaging in careful thinking in theology of work, in what work-oriented uh, church ministry might look like and the workplace issues, so those three areas bring them into conversation with each other. Um, so it's just transforming vocation. I can't remember the website, but if you do Google that, you'll find it. Um, and there are a bunch of people who are writing in this area. Um, so I mentioned uh, a couple of guys in the States, Wilson and K-Mink, uh, K-A-E-M-I-N-G-K. Um, um, they've written a book uh, which is just coming out uh, which is specifically looking at liturgical practices which can shape people for their work. Um, uh, people like Tim Keller uh, have written some good stuff, uh, Dallas Willard. There are a bunch of people who've written in this area. Um, Familiarising yourself with some of the stuff and probably the best thing to do though, um, the best thing to do is to read your Bible. Um, duh. But... <laughs> To read your Bible with two questions that we tend not to ask in mind. As you're reading it, think, what does this passage have to say about work? How does this passage inform my understanding of work? And how does a focus on work illuminate this passage? 
So just changes the way we see stuff in Scripture. Um, so you read Ruth, for example, and you see some really interesting work practices. Um, you think about how Boaz uses his power. You think about um, uh, the ways in which Ruth is contributing to her marginalised family. You think there's a whole bunch of stuff that now becomes apparent which you otherwise wouldn't see. So read your Bible. Well, that's good stuff. Thank you very much. Uh, Just as we finish up, uh, we like to finish with a few rapid-fire questions, if you would oblige. The first one is, what do you think is the biggest danger to the future of the church in Australia? Complacency. And what is giving you hope at this moment in time about the future of the church in Australia? Jesus. Jesus is amongst his churches. You've answered this a little bit, but uh, what's influencing you now in terms of books or podcasts or, you know, specific thinkers uh, in any area? What, what are you listening to and, and giving your, your ears towards? Oh, a bunch of things. Um, uh, one of the most important people in shaping my thinking has been a guy called Nicholas Walterstorff. Um, he's an American Christian philosopher. He's written some amazing stuff. I disagree with him on a bunch of things, um, but really, really helpful. Um, uh, I've been thinking quite a bit about distress and lament, um, uh, particularly in light of the circumstances we find ourselves in. I've been thinking about that for yonks. Uh, so reading stuff on lament. Um, Tom Wright's got some um, okay stuff on that, but there are a bunch of people who've been writing on that. Um, yep. Very good. Okay, if you had one book that you have infinite copies of, it's always in your back pocket, you can give it to anybody you meet. What's that book? Uh, Nicholas Walterstorff's book, Until Justice and Peace Embrace. Um, what he does in that is uh, articulate the notion of shalom and explore what that looks like um, theologically and practically in uh, economics, in politics, um, aesthetics, so art and how art can, can be an expression of and contributed to shalom. It's a great book. Old now like 40 years old. Great book. Sounds good. I'll add it to my list. Um, What would be your two or three practical sentences that you would give to someone who is about to start something new, church planter, or they're they're about to launch into a new role in work, or they're they're about to step into something new? What would you say to them? This is going to sound hopelessly pious, so I apologise. Pray. Pray a lot. Um, Find wise, godly friends. Pray with them. Talk through the what it is that you're considering. Um, uh, read your Bible. Uh, both go to places that you're familiar with, uh, and uh, choose a book that you haven't read. Um, if you read the Bible every year, then maybe one that you haven't read for eleven months. If you haven't read all the way through the Bible, find a bit that you've never read before, and just sit down and read it, uh, and read it. With, uh, with an openness to what the Spirit might say to you. Awesome, Andrew. Thank you so much. I've heard in this conversation both a reaffirmation of what we might see as the, the basics, the fundamentals, the kind of essentials, as well as some lenses to see those things in very uh, what might be for some people kind of revelatory and fresh ways. So thank you for bringing both of those things to this conversation. You're very welcome. I've enjoyed it. I hope it's not been completely useless. Certainly not. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Baptist Care, 
a leading non-profit Christian organisation serving the aged and people living with disadvantage for over 75 years. Did you know that as well as providing residential aged care, Baptist Care's Hope Street sites create safe spaces for disadvantaged and distressed individuals facing issues such as domestic violence, homelessness, mental health, or addiction issues. If you want to make a difference in your community, then volunteering with Baptist Care is a great way to do that. You can join the team as a pastoral care volunteer, or help serve at a Hope Street site, or visit residents in aged care homes. On Forming Church, we're always talking about ways that church can connect with the neighbourhood. And volunteering with Baptist Care is a fantastic way to do that. To get involved or find out more, visit baptistcare.org.au. There you have it. The wisdom, the mind, the stories, the perspectives of Andrew Sloan. Yes. I loved that idea around the Harvest Festival. Very good idea. I think I'm going to steal that. I think he gifted it. I don't think it's stealing. Yeah. Okay. I feel like it was pretty... I'm going, I'm going to receive that gift and I'm going to uh, put it in full bloom into my church community at some point. I think it's just such a good way. And I think our, our practice, our liturgy, the, um, the events that we do actually form us. Our structures do form us. And so I love thinking through this stuff and how we continue to commission people, send people into their workplaces, their vocations, what they spend a lot of their time doing. Mm. Yes, that is a, a very good takeaway from this conversation. And definitely, um, I love the very practical examples and ideas Andrew gave. I think my takeaway, you know, from the first half of the conversation around being a great launch team member, I really like that Andrew, uh, I think he's a bit harsh on himself, but I like that he just identified himself as kind of a boring part of the team. And kind of that, that idea that in a launch phase, there's a lot of energy and there's a lot of ideas. There's a lot of crazy entrepreneurial people, maybe like us. But to find some people on your team that can be like that deep current, mm. you know, um, that, that sort of deep stabilizing calm, force, stabilizing yeah. presence, sometimes a bit boring, sometimes um, maybe asking a question that is a bit uncomfortable if you're just trying to move with the, the high particle energy. So... I think that was a takeaway for me to, to really include on any team those those kind of calm waters. Yeah, good thing. Let us know what your takeaway was in the Forming Church Facebook group or you can leave a review. Tell us what you liked about the podcast. You can gift it to a friend and uh, they might receive it. Indeed. Catch you next time, friends. Hey, it's Jamie. Join me and some friends next week for a roundtable discussion where we unpack the ideas from this episode and what they look like in different contexts.